When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Zach on Film, episode two, as we take a look at the great escape great escape 1963 i want to say no oh, that I am sounds pretty sure. about right yes 1963 yep. I'm, I'm looking at it here. 50 years ago Ooh, oh, 50 years yeah it is the 50th anniversary i got a little story about that coming up zach give us a rundown then of the great escape uh directed by um sturgis john sturgis mm-hmm and uh, starring uh, Steve McQueen, James Garner, Richard, Atten- Richard Attenborough as the uh, top leads on that. All right. So The Great Escape is about POWs from World War II from many different nations have all been clumped together. And they are being put in this new POW camp that the Germans have made. And it's all about their scheming because these are uh, a lot of these people have made multiple escape attempts because it is their duty as ranking officials in their armies to try to cause as much problems for the Germans as possible so they escape multiple times. And um, so now they're making a giant or a great, if you will, scheme to <laughs> break um, somewhere up. To, I think the, the plan is Originally to escape 250 people mm-hmm. out of this POW camp. And then the whole film is just about them making preparations to pull off this great escape. So a couple of things. This is based on true story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, although some of the facts are changed. Right. And this is one of the problems with adaptation is that there's no way with the 250 people in the POW camp that you're going to be able to highlight everyone in their role in the, in the escape. Yeah. Right. So we start to 
take little aspects of characters and we merge them into one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the James Garner character, the scrounger is actually a composite of like three different people, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, the mole, the guy that uh, tries to climb over the fence and gets shot. Right. His character is the actual character. Everything that we saw about him, that is what mm-hmm. happened to that real life person. Uh, Big X played by Richard Attenborough mm-hmm. is also based on a single person. But in adaptation, we see that things get changed a little bit. Um, the other thing that happens in adaptation is, especially when you're doing something like a movie, is sometimes you make changes for commercial appeal. Mm-hmm. So who is this ideally targeted towards? Or who is this targeted towards? This movie. Uh, it was released in the United States. I'm go with Americans. Okay, so it's released in, in Americans. Yeah. And who are kind of the three big central characters that we see in this movie? Well, two, I guess, but there's a third that keeps popping up. Mm-hmm. Who are they? You got well, Steve McQueen. Yes. And James Gardner. Yep. And um, the one that keeps throwing James Gardner the, the ball every time he goes into the cooler. Or not uh, James Gardner, the Steve McQueen, uh-huh. the ball. Those are three yeah, Americans. Okay. Yeah. In real life, the Americans started helping out in the initial stages of the, the big escape and digging the tunnel. Mm-hmm. But before anybody could escape, they were transferred to another camp. Oh, okay. So... For commercial appeal purposes, we are taking amalgams of a bunch of different characters from a bunch of different nationalities, most of them British, Mm -hmm. and turning them into Americans. So that as we see Steve McQueen trying to escape, go America, you know, kind of stuff, uh, James Gardner and his plight or flight, uh, we can root for or identify with uh, the Americans, Mm -hmm. right? Um. So that's kind of some things that happen as far as the story goes as we're taking it from a book based on real facts and turning it into a commercial product to sell to movie theaters. Mm -hmm. Most of the people involved in The Great Escape were all British. Um, But what we find 50 years later is that The Great Escape is still aired every year in Great Britain around Christmas time. Because it's such a big popular movie that people still want to see it. Now, that being said, mm-hmm. what did you think of The Great Escape? Uh, wasn't, in my mind, so great. Why? <laughs> the so-so escape at best. Yeah, definitely. It's a <laughs> meh. A Why? Meh. Why was it meh? Well, it was, I th- I thought, way too long. Okay. The camera sh- uh, shots... Where the exact same thing through the entire movie. I got about mm-hmm. halfway through and I was just yelling, do something besides a medium. Right. Please stop shooting at eye level. Right. And I thought the tone of the movie was not definitely what I expected. I was like, it's a great escape movie. Mm-hmm. Very suspenseful. Mm-hmm. And But what's suspenseful? suspenseful? They could get caught at any moment. I didn't, but the, the, here's the problem. They can get caught any moment, and what do they do? They they don't die. They've escaped 17 times, and they're still just putting them in camps. It's like, what's the point? Just keep escaping. Well, they're not going to do anything. <laughs> well, but they're disrupting things behind the lines, right? So the, the, the Reich can't right. afford to have them behind enemy lines mucking things up. So they have to put them together, and because they're putting them in separate camps, and they constantly get out of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's causing more troubles for them financially. Right. Uh, so the Reich decides, let's put all, all of these brilliant minds <laughs> in together. one location and hope that they stay there, Schultz. Right. Um, so, but I can see where it, 
I can see where you're coming in, from. And it, it wasn't just in the fact that, oh, if they try to escape, they're going to come back and they might get the one guy or initially the two guys that are escaping get put into some little isolation chamber for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the tone through the music conveys is like it would be kind of um, dramatic to a sense. But then you always have this like light, dainty music playing. Like, well, I'm, this isn't suspenseful at all. It's mm-hmm. it, it, it's like it, a march. It, it tries yeah, to a march. Yeah, hinges, like, march. It tried to hinges like on a comedy and uh, drama suspense thing, and it never really solidifies what it really is. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that kind of threw the whole thing off. Uh, Rodrigo, you want to touch on any of the three things that Zach's brought up? Um. Too slow, sure. medium shots, or too long, medium shots, and can't decide where it wants to go as far as a story. Yeah. Yeah, I I can run through all three of those. Okay. Um, let's pick uh, Let's pick uh, pace first, the, the okay. length. Two, or, or yes, it is too long. Well, the reason why it's too long is because it's actually two different movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you start out with a movie about a bunch of guys trying to break out of a prison camp. And then follows up to basically a movie about a bunch of guys out in Germany trying to elude the authorities. And right? I think that like, goes for like 35, 40 50 minutes. 50 minutes. 50 minutes of the after the escape. Escaped, okay. I'm like, this should yep. be almost done. I mean, yeah. We've my mouse to see much time. It, nope. It's, it's no funny because it's funny because I just rewatched this the other night because I'm like, I want to be fresh. It's been a probably mm-hmm. about uh-huh. eight or nine years since I've watched this movie. And I kind of got in that same part where I was like, my God, this should be over by now. This is, you know, I know what happens next. He gets shot, plane crashes, he gets killed, yeah. they get shot, boom, the end. But you're right, it does drag that on for quite some mm-hmm. time. What else, Rodrigo? It, Anything else about this this length? Uh, I mean, that's, really, that's the, the biggest part of it, is that everything that they hit on, it happens multiple times. So it's like, it's not like, oh, we have hit a snag with the tunnel. It's, we hit a snag with the tunnel, they fix it. We hit another snag with the tunnel, they fix it. They hit another snag with the tunnel, they fix it. Um, we see three different times, you know, we established, I think, twice that uh, Steve McQueen's character gets put in the cooler before the last time he gets put in the cooler, which is actually, or, or the, before the time when it actually makes sense plot-wise for him to end up in the cooler or, or rather that it's important to the plot that he ends up in the cooler. Right. Mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 It's like, if you, he could have been introduced at that moment, at the moment where the, the British guys are like, well, we need surveillance outside. Boom. Here's Steve McQueen's character. Right. Hey guys, I'm going to go outside. Okay. You go do it. You get caught. I'm not doing it. Do it. All right. I'm doing it. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, right? part of that is because, um, the mole got killed and that was the breaking point for him to sure, say, okay, sure. I'll do that. Right. 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 Uh, sure. Matthew, when was the last time you watched, um, Zach, uh, not Zach on film? When was the last time you watched the great escape? <laughs> trying to remember, uh, probably would have been sometime in the nineties. Oh, so a long time for you. What are your, oh, yeah. what are your big takeaways from, from the movie? What did you remember most or like, or, or, or not like about that movie? Motorcycle jumps are awesome. Yeah, now that was it, cool. Steve McQueen doing all but the right. final jump in yeah. in that movie. He does all his own stunt work, so all but the final jump. Oh, and he, do he also does Steve McQueen also impersonates one of the Nazis who's driving on riding yeah. the motorcycles uh-huh. because yeah. he had the motorcycle experience and background. So I think yeah. that's kind of cool. So bringing I like up it the when, the, when the chicken jumped too. That was 
That well, we'll talk about movie. that. We'll talk about that so in a little bring while up too. Motorcycle chase. As I'm as I'm watching The Great Escape, and I'm thinking, why in the world am I watching this? Because it's not that good. I Google it. I'm like, why is this? They think of it. Like, they, and then someone talked about, oh, the motorcycle chase mm-hmm. is a great scene, mm-hmm. and so that's coming up. I'm like, okay, I'll watch this. It'll be really cool. And and then we get to the motorcycle chase, and they're like, oh, it's such great stunt work. I'm like, well, let's watch it. Oh, so he's just gonna ride up a hill for fifteen seconds. Okay, okay. Oh, he's gonna. He just. Oh, he's just riding down that hill again. Oh, and then he did the big jump again. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this is nineteen sixty three. Right. Right. So you got to keep the right. time period. This is before this. Matthew, who's the big uh, stunt man that uh, Burt Reynolds uh, played in his biography movie? Gator. Is that his name? <laughs> Sharky. Sharky. Yeah. Um, the bandit. The the thing is that this is before you're doing the thing where you can drop a guy 50 stories on a thin wire and have him safe. Any this right. is this is before Evil Can Evil rises to fame. Mm-hmm. So when you yeah. see and especially an actor which is even today seldom Harrison Ford Correct. did a lot of his own stunts. Yeah, for an actor to be doing all that quote unquote stunt writing uh, is kind of impressive. So as you approach this you kind of keep in mind the time period part of that. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, but the fact, like, again, it goes back to um, a lot of sure. camera choices okay. and editing. Let's let's talk camera that's choices. What, that's why I didn't think the thing was very, I thought a lot about stuck. this, and I had to do some research on, on John Sturgis uh, for this. Okay. Uh, by the time we hit The Great Escape, 1963, mm-hmm. Sturgis only has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more movies left in him. All of them produced... Uh, within the decade, uh, 78, I think is his last one. The Eagle has landed. Okay. Um, so the bulk of his work was pre 1963. Now he already did, um, uh, seven of uh, the Magnificent seven, seven that mm-hmm. we did, but his first film was in 1946. Yeah. Okay. Right at the time world war two, uh, was in full swing. Mm-hmm. The United States has entered the war. But we still want movies. We, as Americans, still need to be entertained. And during World War II, plastics were rare. You didn't have, not rare, but it was, it was a commodity that right. you were using for the war effort. And so you didn't have a lot to waste. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big things that gets drilled into people's minds starting around World War II and then even progressing as um, anamorphic lenses, cinemascope uh, starts to come in is that Try to get as much as you can in a two shot or a three shot mm-hmm. and not so much in close ups. And I have a feeling and I haven't seen a lot of uh, Sturgis's other films, um, but I have a feeling that that studio method of turning out movies was ingrained in him at his young age. And that style still continues mm-hmm. all the way into the mm-hmm. future because we saw a lot of that, too, in Magnificent Seven, where there was a lot of two shots, right. three shots, four shots. A lot of that, too, is so that all the characters have time on the screen. You know, you're not coming to singles uh, so that you're focusing on just James Garner or just Richard Attenborough or just, um, man, the, the um, Charles Bronson, Bronson. or, um, gosh, I'm at a loss for names, of, of the other um, ensemble cast that's yeah. in there. So you're James trying to get his, Coburn. James Coburn, that's who I'm thinking, plays in the Australian. And actually, the Australians had a bigger role in the escape than any other POW country represented in that. Um, so I think, and, and Rodrigo, maybe you have some more information. 
I think that that Hollywood style was ingrained in him from the early 40s or from the mid 40s. Right. All the way through the traditional 50s Hollywood. This is how we produce a movie and here's how we crank out stuff on a very rapid basis into more of a let's tell a craft story uh, kind of method. Oh, absolutely. I would if I was going to um, if I was going to talk about the production of The Great Escape and summarize mm-hmm. it in one word, I would say economical. Yeah, mm, okay. um, they did all shoot of the this. Shots, Go yes, ahead. All of the shots are very static. All of the there are very few like shot reverse shot things going. You can tell there are some scenes where people step over each other's lines and they just play it off and they keep going. You know, they mm-hmm. weren't doing too many takes on this. Yeah. Now, this was uh, made for, in the day, $4 million. I'm going to imagine a bulk of that money went to Steve McQueen, to Richard Atten- Attenborough, and James Gardner. As you watch in the credits, they're the three names that appear before the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. They're the big stars. Um, this was also shot in Germany, in Bavaria, uh, near uh, near the studio that they shot at. So they actually built this concentration camp, yeah. all the interiors yeah, and everything, exactly. just just outside the the studio lot mm-hmm. in a forest. So a bulk of that could go to there because you're going to have to build a whole POW whole camp, camp, pretty big camp and be able to shoot inside and outside and shoot your underground scenes and all that. So I can imagine a bulk of the money went mm-hmm. into those three areas. So when it comes to lighting, when it comes to camera choices, you, you don't have a lot of choices mm-hmm. in that. So in regards to your question about, or your concern about not going in for the close-ups that much, I think that's I think that's your answer is look at how the director look at his past work leading up to that. And that might give you some indication. And I think economics is probably uh, the biggest answer. Anything else, Rodrigo, that you want to add to that comment about the long static shots? No, I, I think I think that's that's about it. Interestingly, though, it's like the storytelling of it is the opposite. The storytelling of it is long and involved. Um while the shots are kind of like static and, and, and very Spartan. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest complaints when this movie came out originally was that you've got a really long movie, but you don't have a chance to really go into depth with a lot of characters. And I, I kind of take issue a little bit Ooh. with that because yeah. you do find out what is driving so. the characters. Uh, um, um, I keep wanting to call him Jives, but the mole character. Ives. Like Ives. Ives. I'm sorry. Ives hates being isolated. Even mm-hmm. though he's a tunneler, you can tell being isolated, being in the cooler for that long had a psychological impact on him. And when they find out that the, that the tunnel has been discovered, he's got no other choice but to kill himself. I cannot take this anymore. Some of these guys have been in, in, the, in the camps for three plus years. Um, I think the, the Steve McQueen character, we don't find a lot about. Uh, I mean, there's a couple character reveals that he was in school cool for. for backstory. Yeah, he really yeah. is. Um, James Garner character as the scrounger. We don't also learn a little, a lot about him, but the, um, the forger, you know, here's this guy who's doing a bulk of the work to create documents. And then right at the end of the film, he goes blind yeah. from all this work. And now granted, this is compressed time. You're taking something that took place over a couple of years and squeezing it into a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, but here he goes blind. And, and how terrible is that? You got the, the Russian who suddenly reveals that the reason why he's trying to escape is because he's claustrophobic. And every time he goes down into the tunnels, it, it bothers him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there was character development, right, Rodrigo or not? Am I, am oh, I misreading that? No, there was a lot. And, and no, so, 
And there really is, you know, the, there are, that, that is also very economical, but definitely in a good way. I mean, you get into things where it's like, um, you see that, uh, oh, what's the other guy's name? The other British guy that tries to escape with, uh, McDonald, I think. Yeah, McDonald. Um, he goes over to Ives and kind of has a little thing. Cause I think they're, I don't know if they're both supposed to be Scottish or McDonald just comes from a Scottish family. I don't know. I mean, right. McDonald is a Scottish name. Right. Um, so they have a little thing. It's like, oh, it's the Scotsmen doing their thing. Well, the Americans are doing their thing. Look, everybody's kind of hanging out. And, you know, for example, uh, James Gardner's character, you know, you don't find out a lot about him when this happens. But the moment that the forger goes blind, he steps up. You know, the, his character development comes from this other character that's having problems. Then you get to find out what sort of man, what what, what sort of like uh, nice, take care of his friends, lantern jawed beautiful man he is yeah 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 (laughs) okay so here is a here is an unintended consequence of being a a james garner fan as a kid i was first introduced to this guy uh at my grandparents house when i was watching the rockford files i didn't start out with um um what was the series matthew uh that he was in the western james garner yeah 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 Maverick. Maverick. I, I was never introduced to him through Maverick, but I was through the Rockford Files. And in the Rockford Files, James Garner was a Korean War veteran. That was his character. And in the um, Jim Rockford's backstory was that of a scrounger. So the first time that I sit down and watch uh, The Great Escape and he's playing a scrounger, from that point on, every time I watch the Rockford Files and he mentions how he was a scrounger in the war, war all I can think about was, is the Great Escape. Uh-huh. Interestingly, and I didn't find this out until, I don't know, about a year or so ago, James Garner was in the Korean War and he actually was a scrounger in uh-huh. the Korean War. So it's just wow. this weird kind of, of thing that uh, that goes on. So I think the... From a, a kind of a story point, your third point of, you know, where is the plot? Is it a comedy? Is it mm-hmm. a tragedy or whatever? It's a it's a movie of what is the human spirit willing to do in order to survive? They know that it's their duty to escape, that no matter what, they have to escape. Mm-hmm. And they know, especially for Big X, uh, Attenborough's character, that if he gets out, the Gestapo is just going to kill him. They've right. already made that. When they dropped him off at the camp, they're like, if you ever escape again, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And... He wants to just continue to do that. And so there's this thing of human spirit of it's man against the elements, in this case, Earth. And can we get out of this? It's not against the Germans. It's can we get out of this situation that we have been placed in? And I think that's kind of where the drama comes from is can they do it? Will they do it? How are they going to do it? To dig as far as they have to dig, as they say in the movie, is is one of the long th- uh, 100 yards, a football field yeah. length that they have to dig. Now, they end up coming short by about 20 yards, yeah. <laughs> uh, which kind of plays a big part in, in that movie. Yeah. But, I mean, this, this idea of we have to tunnel 100 yards to get out, to save our lives, to do what we need to do, I think it becomes a, a human spirit kind of thing. And rah, rah, look at us. Yes, we're still defeating the Germans in the right. process just by escaping. Mm-hmm. Okay, Zach, before we get into this next section, mm-hmm. I think it's time that we thank people who have contributed to the major spoilers cause people who help make okay. this very show possible. Matthew, who do we got? 
Okay. Zatch on Phlegm number two is brought to you by Kevin Hall, Ahmad Abed El Aziz, Douglas Hopkins, Oscar Rodriguez, Jeffrey Arbo, Nathan Olson, Sean Brown, Paul Wade, Peter Wilker, Michael Watanabe. Um, what else? Go on. What else uh, either bothered you or things that you liked? Was there anything in the piece that you liked? Oh, yeah, certainly. I like the characters a lot. The, um, even though I brought issues with the story at large, I thought some of the characters were, I mean, most of the characters were enjoyable to just watch on screen. And you could feel the pain of the forger when he realizes he's going blind and he's right. trying to set up a a little uh, skit to show that he can still see. And mm-hmm. he obviously can say, well, so you're, you're a big Seinfeld fan. Oh yeah. <laughs> Remember George Costanza did mm-hmm. that when they're like put on your glass. Yeah. I can see that dime over <laughs> yeah. there. He sets that up just the way that mm-hmm. the forger does in possums. Left and right. Yeah. That's just how he did that in, uh, yeah. in, in this movie. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a, um, you know, there's a lot of movies and TV shows and whatever that, draw inspiration from the great escape matthew had mentioned chicken run uh, a little bit oh, ago, yeah and that's essentially the great escape told with chickens mm-hmm. and yeah. stop-motion animation mel gibson and a clay chicken top uh, secret has a big take on it well and then you know once you get into a television series hogan's heroes mm-hmm. is the parody version i guess if you want to call it the comedy version of the story Let's not go so far as to call Hogan's Heroes a comedy. Well, it's certainly it's, looking it's back, it's probably yeah, farce. There we go. Uh a farce. But it is these characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is this story being told Somebody, as a as a farce. Right, right. Um Val Kilmer actually does a, a parody of the uh, motorcycle escape in Top Secret. Where he goes over the fence and then he looks and at this camera and he gives a camera a wink and then he jumps over five buses. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so what? I mean, what are what's the good that you can get out of this? I mean, certainly when we talk night scenes, last time we were talking day for night mm-hmm. with uh, the seven uh, uh, magnificent seven. I keep wanting to say seven samurai. Magnificent uh, seven we, samurai. Yes, the magnificent seven samurai. Uh, the uh, the day for night was very obvious in this film. Yeah, here they're actually shooting at night. In many scenes, except for one. Do you know which one was the day for night in that in the uh, Great Escape? No. It is, is when it, they're is taking when off they're from the, the airfield with the plane taking off from the airfield. That's their day for night shot. It's supposed to be oh, like that was supposed to be at that night? was a early, early, early dawn shot. Oh, but it was supposed to be a, a really dark shot. But again, shadows are coming from high noon <laughs> in that entire scene. In my mind, that entire scene happened in the afternoon, no, I guess. Uh uh-uh. It would have been much brighter in that case. But you go back and watch it and look at how the darks are, are okay. shut down and everything's supposed to be darker. Um, the the tell is the fact that you cut away to the um, the office and the light's on in the office and those guys are mm-hmm. trying to peer out to see what's going on uh-huh. into the darkness. Oh, okay. That's the tell there. I was, I was watching it. I That's was like, this is why day for night shots fail. Them. This is why day for night shots fail. Because they look like they're the daytime, and it's actually supposed to be night. I completely thought because everything else that was happening, it seemed because all when they're escaping, all those stories are I assume were happening yeah, coincide. Yeah. They're yeah, showing yeah. them different times, and it seemed everything was happening in the day. And so he takes out the guard, and they're saying, "Like, yeah, why are like they shooting morning. him?" Yeah, yeah, early, early morning, late, you know, like right before the sunrise. Oh, uh, okay, I totally. Missed but there's that no then. shadows. Um, the uh, but the night scenes though, where they're actually coming out of mm-hmm. the tunnel. Not good. 
I mean, Why? This, well, obviously they were shot at night. Right. And but you know when they turn off the the lights of the camp? Mm-hmm. They had still a lot of moon, a, lot of, a lot of moonlight, which is a problem because it was already established early on that the night that they are escaping is a full moon, uh, a, a new, new moon, moon. Right. a new moon. So it's going to be pitch black, and there happened just to be like a perfect sliver of light to, that crossed from the trees right on top of the hole. Now does that yeah, bother you? everything? Does that bother you, Rodrigo, oh, Matthew, Zach? I mean, me. I was like, oh, I'm, I can see you can't, the hole. You can't take that sort of thing and use it to deconstruct a film because if oh, we're you not do deconstructing; we're pointing it out. You, yeah. But you, you'll never enjoy a movie again. Well, I don't think it. It didn't. It didn't hurt story wise. I just said, "Hey, isn't that convenient? They placed that light right above the hole." <laughs> <laughs> but this again is audiences are going to forgive a lot, and right. most people probably never would have paid any no. attention to that. Just like, why are they wearing their good suits while they're crawling through a dirty tunnel? Why don't they change in the forest? Yeah. Right. You know, that's kind of a giveaway. Um, Rodrigo, you said you had a lot to to share on this movie. Um, Educate young Zach. No, mostly I was just being a uh, a jerk. Oh no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no! I do, I do have stuff to say. And you know, this this movie is another one that is mostly important because of where it the the place it occupies in American culture. Yep. Um, you will and have seen a lot of takeoffs of the great escape you've seen them on tv you've seen them in cartoons and you've heard that song from the great escape before oh yeah, yeah. usually on montages that uh, of people either escaping from somewhere or being industrious about something it has mutated to the point where it's like now anytime there's like a mild anti-authoritarian vibe to something or somebody is like putting something together or a group of people are putting something together. You hear the theme from The Great Escape. I can't wait till we get on the bridge on the river Kwai. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, the, you know, the comet. It makes your mouth turn green. Comet. Well, let's wait till we get gasoline. I mean, the music is a really interesting study as well because there's a theme but that theme is an upbeat march. Right. So sometimes when bad things happen and you hear like the low like strings go like brrr, and they bring in the theme, the theme is they're like yeah, still, yeah, still flutes, <laughs> flutes and piccolos. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's it's like weirdly disjointed, but it's like, okay, A, again, there's this like very formulaic aspect to the movie. A, the movie has a theme. B Bad things are happening. Lower everything, then play the theme as a light motif. And sometimes it really just doesn't work. It yeah. feels weird. Uh, this movie also has a super downer of an ending, right? Mm. Of the seventy six that escape, yeah, uh, most of them, fifty of them are killed. Fifty of them are killed. Eleven of them are bring well, out, and then three 12. three actually escape. In the real story, only three of them escape. Oh, really? And they're represented by uh, James Coburn. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Charles Bronson, yeah, and uh, the other guy whose name I just don't remember. I don't remember either. But uh, they were represented as the only three that actually oh, made okay. it out. Everyone I, else is killed. Now they said how many are coming back in the movie, and they said well eleven so 11. far. They weren't counting number twelve, which was Steve McQueen's character coming back. Right. And so there's the missing other number like that 10. supposedly yeah. that are coming back as well. But 
Yeah, they dedicate this movie to the 50. 50, right. Uh, cost $4 million, made $11 million in its initial release, 1963, became one of the top grossing films of uh, that time period, mm -hmm. uh, of that year of 1963. Um, it has gone on to get a much larger audience and a bunch of people that really appreciate this. Um, and so much so that, like I mentioned, that um, from the last reading that I saw, that the BBC airs this every year. Cat uh, Halo, who does a lot of our movie reviews for the Major Spoilers podcast, Listeners, you can find that at Majorspoilers.com or catch it in the Major Spoilers um, Podcast Network Master Feed. Uh, you can hear his reviews there. He and his brother watch this film every year, and they love it. Really? It's one of his favorite films of all time. Um, I like it because I think it's this, even though it has a downer ending, it's this spirit of we're going to do it. Uh, and plus it has, um, you know, that great, uh, that great music. Also by, uh, this is Bernstein, who did the music for uh, The Seven Samurai. Oh, okay. He also did... Uh, what else did he do? Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, Robot Monster. Uh, he also did. <laughs> he also did you the national, mama. the National Geographic theme song. So if you listen, and this is the weird thing, when you listen to Bernstein's, he he does marches. When you listen to the Magnificent Seven, when you listen to the Great Escape, when you listen to the National Geographic uh, show open. They're all the same feel, just like a Sousa march. Mm -hmm. Bernstein has this feel of what goes on. And I think that when we look at future composers like John Williams, John Williams, I'm going to bet, has to be inspired by Bernstein here. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Bernstein also did uh, Animal House. Well, and that's what we're going to get to. He also did uh, Animal House, and that led him to do the Blues Brothers, Ghostbusters, Stripes, an airplane. Nice. So when we look at music <laughs> and we look at someone who's done a lot of music that has these marching type things, um, you know, Bernstein's there. Just like John Williams, you associate him with Lucas and Spielberg as far as comp uh, composers go. Um, what are you going to take away from this, Zach? What are you going to take away from The Great Escape? Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not going to sit high on your favorite list, no, although it does have... I think it does have a lot of big, important things that um, still resonate today in, in, in films, not just the homages to, yeah. but techniques for doing these kind of things. How do we do a chase scene? How do we do a um, story where there's people confined into a small space? Mm -hmm. But what are you going to take away? Uh, I um, Story-wise, I think the character interactions were really well and uh, worked really well. Th they able to take characters from different places and still like mingled in with their different personalities and stuff so story character wise it was good um a takeaway from my negatives to turn into a positive i think that in today's film culture you can't really get away with a movie shot like this is shot and and that take that to an economic point like rodrigo said that filmmaking is so cheap now that you can reshoot things and try different angles and get really cheap cameras and throw them on a motorcycle because you shoot who, the wheel and stuff. Who's one of your one of your favorite current directors or says he's not directing anymore? Kevin Smith. Go back and watch Clerks. Oh, I know. I, I, I know. And tell me that that's not shot on an I economical know. budget of mostly two-shot, medium it is. shots it is. throughout the but entire piece. then he made Red State. Yep. So. But, well, but again, there is a... <laughs> Some budget issues there on, on, on right. again. red state is limited in what it does. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. character. 
Tell some good character stories. Sure. Uh, what's I mean, it? What's we're not it? looking at crane shot after crane shot there, neither. Right. Matthew, what are we looking at as far as uh, giving Zach a pass on this? Well, the thing about it, and the thing that is very important, Rodrigo nailed it on the head. The Great Escape is as important for what it represents and the role that it plays, its place in history, as it is actually as a film. I don't remember ever thinking that this was a super awesome, super wonderful film. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily Hondo. Had he tried any of this attitude on Hondo, I would have <laughs> smacked him. Is Hondo on the list? Not on this put, uh, revised list. That let's put Hondo from, on the put Hondo on the list. It's three D. Ran from uh, two hundred down to a hundred. No, you'll you'll like it. It's in three D. But <laughs> I think that to some degree, we are all looking at this from the perspective of our previous expectations. And Zach's bias may be giving him a different expectation of movies than necessarily. Everybody has a bias. Oh, yeah, I I love this film. I don't mean that as a big kick in the face. but This certainly isn't in my top 10 films, but this is certainly in my top 50 movies. Yeah, and if it's on TV, I'd sit and watch it unless, you know, maybe Paranormal Activity was on the next channel up (laughs) because I can't turn down Paranormal Activity. It's one of the five movies that I never turn away from. But... I think maybe Zach is judging it a little bit more harshly than I would have. Maybe not even so much harshly as, again, you know, bias has a negative connotation. Sure. I think there's a dismissiveness there, and I don't mean that as a terrible negative of no. Zach's all like, whatever, whatever, well, I do what I want. So but I think that he does, though. He does do what he wants. I do. He, he snaps does. his fingers and shakes his head side whatever. to side, too. Mm-mm. But I think that what it, what it really comes down to is that Zach's expectations for a movie are not met by the basic structure and craft here. And right. so it's difficult, it, it, and it is difficult to get past that when you're looking at something. I mean, we read a comic book a couple of weeks ago on the MSP that read backwards, drove yeah, me yeah. up the wall. Yeah. No matter uh, how wonderful that book was, I'm sitting here going, damn it, I'm reading backwards. I, I, can, I know where Zach is coming from because I teach in a, a video production at a university. And yeah. uh, every year in this advanced video production class, we get into aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And I start things off by saying, how many of you have watched a movie called Citizen Kane? And nobody raises their hand, obviously, because they've never. Why would I watch something that's old? It's black and white. Black and white and old. That guy's dead. He's fat and dead. Uh, I drunk, like drunk, fat and dead. <laughs> but one of the things that I try to get across, and, and again, part of the reason why this list was created was yeah. because you watch something like Citizen Kane or you watch something like The Great Escape and you want to just say, this is slow and plotting and boring and blah, 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 blah. I, I can watch uh, CSI Miami tonight and it's got more interesting things in it than The Great Escape does. And you're right, but you have to think of the time period in which this is created right. and what was going on in in the production process of that time. And I still think that this is a really, really solid movie, but I can see where you're coming from. But today I had to have the talk with why it's important to watch older films so you have that appreciation of what comes forward well, uh, and, uh, and what comes from it. And I knew that watching it, and I said, and I was just thinking because... And that's fine. You don't have to like it. I'm I not know. saying you have to like it. No, but I'm, I don't, I don't want I don't, <laughs> I don't anyone to think I'm not liking it just because it's old. And, and the reason I didn't like it was because even like Citizen Kane, how many years was Citizen Kane before this movie? 
Oh, a lot. A lot. Yeah, yeah. And I was saying, I was watching, it was like, when this guy never, did this guy never watch Citizen Kane? Because that guy showed uh, some ceilings and stuff. He, I mean, he moved the camera around. He showed different angles. It wasn't flat angles all remember the time. The, the production process. Go back and look well, at another, go, so here's another thing that's kind of a, you brought up extra, extra credit, an extra credit okay, assignment extra credit. for you. Go back and find another film. Matthew, look this up as I'm talking. Okay. Go back and find another film from 1963. Go look at the top 10 movies from 1963, Matthew. Go back and look at another movie from 1963. Okay. And I bet your arguments are going to be pretty much the same. Same. You know, they're, because at this point you're hitting in this Hollywood system of editing, yep. mm-hmm. a Hollywood yep. system of shooting, a Hollywood a, system of a Hollywood lighting. standard. There's a way yeah. that a Hollywood movie looks. Even in, even, even Alfred Hitchcock who people are like, oh, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Go and watch... Um, the Birds Vir- came out in 63. Okay, so go and watch The Birds. Okay. You're going to see he follows conventional editing style as he tells his story. Wide establishing shot, medium shot, close-up shot, shot, reverse shot. And he'll go and follow that pattern in a lot of his films. Um, to the point where today with editing... We will see a man get out of a cab and we'll see him go into the building. And then the next shot that we see, he's entering the 34th floor office. Right. Back in 1963, you would go from the car to the building entrance, through the the lobby, to the 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 elevator, out the elevator, push the button in the in the secretary's office and then into the manager's office Mm -hmm. or the person that he's going to have a meeting with. Go watch the birds. Okay, I think it's actually on the list. Probably is. Yeah, it's the a, birds. It's a, it's a crazy English next. No, 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 no. We're actually face. not going to do the birds. Um, not next, but it's on the list. <laughs> and a couple of, I think Psycho's on this list too, if we're talking about Hitchcock. Yeah, Psycho's on there. But go back and watch. They're following this Hollywood method of, of how we do a production. Okay. And so why do we... Nazis must die on the list. Look, no. <laughs> uh, go back and look at... And go back and look at the studio system. Do some research on this this idea of what the studio system was about. Uh, it tied into vertical integration. If you don't know what vertical integration is, we can talk about that another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably more so in the 1920s when we look at uh, it happened one night or something like that. Um, but go back and do some research on that. And I think you'll see that it wasn't just Sturgis doing this. Mm-hmm. It was most filmmakers doing this at that time period. Because okay. that's what you did. If you wanted to work, you know, toe the line. Do what you're supposed to do. So next time, listeners. Oh, I forgot to ask uh, Rodrigo. Zach, uh, what's your evaluation of Zach this this go around? Oh, I think I think he's doing well. I think that um, it's he he articulated well that this is a classic movie that is important to the American aesthetic that he just doesn't like. And that's, Um, and that is totally fine. Actually, this was the first time right before the show or, you know, like in preparation for the show, this is the first time that I had ever seen the great escape. Oh, really? Yeah. Not even in in your, your snooty film school. Did you watch it? No, no, we didn't. We didn't get around to that. Um, (laughs) and, um, we, I, I was surprised at how much I liked it. Like yeah. I was expecting this to be like a oh, super important movie, very important to the American <laughs> aesthetic, super boring. But all of the little character bits really kept me interested all, pretty much until the, I guess, halfway point where the second movie starts. <laughs> right, right. And again, because it had been years since I watched it in my mind – that last 45 minutes or 50 minutes was compressed into like 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, you know, exactly. they get on the plane they, or they get off, they get in the plane, it crashes, he dies, he gets shot. The other one, they're at the train station, they get shot. You know, mm-hmm. you escape. I just, I, 
was blown away by how much longer that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've been trying to find some connections uh, between the last couple of Zach's uh, films that we watched. Obviously, we went from uh, um, Great Escape back to Magnificent Seven. That was inspired by some talk on Pulp Fiction and Enter the Dragon. Right. But this time I'm going to follow the musical trail mm-hmm. and we're going to follow uh, Bernstein all the way to a movie called Animal House mm-hmm. by John Landis. Okay, you ready for All that, right, Zach? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. All right, Zach, take us out. All right, everyone. Thanks for another uh, by another week of Zach on Film. Uh, if you want to check out more, go ahead to Majorspoilers.com. We have so many more podcasts you can listen to, all sorts of goodness from two guys talking about comics to four guys talking about comics to a bunch of guys <laughs> playing D&D and everything in between. <laughs> and we will see you next time. 